The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host gp john pause with me today a very special guest former wwf superstar from the infamous killer bees he's also the president of the cac cauliflower alley club he's mr b brian blair mr blair welcome to the two-man power trip how you doing thank you john and uh thanks for having me on it's a pleasure to be on the two-man power trip and uh uh, I was mentioning to you a couple minutes ago that I was just listening to uh, your podcast with uh, JBL, who happens to be <clears throat> one of my favorite people. Uh, him and Gerald Briscoe uh, just did their podcast not long ago, and, and they're two great guys. And John had some great stories for you, so I hope I can be just half as good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Well, it's been kind of a rough road for me. Uh, I'm always so positive and upbeat, but... Uh, you know, in July, I, uh, uh, July 16th, I had my second back surgery and I contacted osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the spine. And uh, the, we didn't know I had an infection. I actually went to the uh, 55th CAC reunion. I did several autograph sessions. And I, I mean, J John, I was in so much pain. I can't even describe it. And I kept telling uh, the surgeon, you know, like, I, I have pain that's not from the operation and he said well go to therapy you know i mean these guys are busy and i understand you know but uh anyway uh it it got so bad that um i had been to the emergency room twice um and they thought i had kidney stones um through the ct finally my uh uh gp my general practitioner uh dr he uh primary care doctor he said uh, brian i think you need to get an mri and a blood test because you may have uh, an infection of some kind i don't think this is normal and sure enough uh he was right uh, uh i lost all my feeling um in my lower body my ability to walk actually couldn't walk my ability to pee to poop to, i had i had no bodily functions and no no lower body feeling, only pain, only pain. And so um, called 911, they rushed me to the hospital. They performed an emergency surgery on October 30th. And uh, I've had to learn to walk all over again. 
so wow. it was very challenging and uh, my son was uh, my 29 year old son my oldest son brett uh he was uh, murdered on uh, on july 22nd and uh you know i've learned a lot about facing adversity my friend um you know i've kind yeah, of felt like yeah. job i'm a i'm a I'm a big man of faith and if it wasn't for the big man upstairs and of course my family and uh, uh good friends obviously uh yeah i would have thrown in the towel but uh it's uh you always have to realize that fortunately i faced a lot of adversity in my life so uh you know i basically went from from welfare from poverty to to being a very successful person and um you know i i owe that all that to uh realizing that i had uh two ears and one mouth and did a lot of listening and took a lot of great advice and uh realized that other people had challenges my dad used to tell me when i, I you know this is a very old but it's true i i'd say dad i need some new shoes and i'll never forget when he said uh, yeah son you tell that to the guy next to you with no feet and you know he would say things like that to me my grandfather in arkansas would do the same when i'd go up to his ranch every summer of my life uh to my grandparents ranch in uh, saint joe arkansas and I, it was a lot of wisdom that came from from my elders and um it helped me to overcome adversity and challenges uh growing up and i think that kind of i had a lot of wonderful years and life certainly can't be all roses without uh, some thorns and um uh, i just had my my share of thorns uh the last uh half a year or so you also have a new book right truth be told i sure do i just happened to have a copy sitting right next to Perfect. me john nice. truth yes. be told. and uh it's available on amazon right now um actually this book it looks like i i can't read well i'm sure you can't read those but yeah the the uh re, the um uh the well first off the reviews are i'm just grateful to all the people that took the time to write them and then um of course uh, i gotta really thank bret hart uh steve kern and hulk hogan for doing my forewords uh um and my after forward and uh of course ian douglas who is a tremendous writer. Um, I, I met Ian, uh, well, before I met Ian, I read the book uh, uh, that he wrote on Bugsy McGraw. Do you remember Mike Davis, Bugsy McGraw? Oh, Wonderful. yeah. I actually interviewed him to promote the book. Yeah. Oh, oh did you? Okay. To Brew Power? Yeah, Brew yep. Power was an excellent read. And uh, I knew right then uh, when uh, I wound up finally getting in contact with Ian that um, he was the guy to write the book. And he's... He's tremendous. I just fed him all the, um, you know, all the memories, and he weaved them together and uh, it did so tremendously. It's uh, it's uh, very humbling when you um, when you get reviews and and things that look like you wrote them yourself. Uh, and I I swear I didn't, but uh, hmm. it, it's it's nice and it, it it's it, it's uh, truth be told is a story. Um, well, it's my life story, but I. I tell other people's stories, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Um, yeah, it just, there's everything in the book from uh, some of the funniest stories, um, 
that I I've ever been a part of some of the funniest uh, ribs and pranks and uh, just uh, true stories about uh, how you can be what you want to be. Um, and uh, I, I guess the best thing to do uh, is go to Amazon and read the reviews and people have pretty much uh, summarized from all over the world, you know, what they thought of the book and the lowest rating out of five stars that I've had is a four star you know, rating. So it's a, it's a humbling, uh, very humbling. What was the experience like putting it all together? Was it therapeutic? It's one of the things where like, Oh God, I got to relive that. You know, was it a fun time or was it kind of like maybe a mixed bag? Um, I would say it was more therapeutic than, um, than I have to relive this uh, again. Um, because, uh, I really had to go back and, and, and think, you know, from, uh, welding mailbox posts for a guy named Bill Wallenter in Drew Park, which is uh, part of Tampa, Florida, where I grew up. And um, well, I actually grew up till I was almost 11 in Gary, Indiana. And uh, the Jacksons lived not far from us. And, you know, back then, all my friends were almost all my friends were African American and were black. And we never there was never any racial tension or i mean we were all just buddies we never saw color we never saw anything other than than friends you know it was never anything like uh, the media wants you to believe today so uh you know uh going back and reliving those was was uh, very good for the soul and um uh, being able to share those experiences that i had um with people um uh, is wonderful from, you know, building, um, building a, a multi-location, multi-million dollar business with Gold's Gems, um, uh, being elected to uh, in a countywide seat in Hillsborough County, which uh, you have more voters than in um, 10 or 11 other states. It was 10, I think it's 11. Now uh, we've grown in, here in Hillsborough County where Tampa is, was one of the municipalities, Tampa, Temple Terrace and Plant City. Hillsborough County is 1,078.2 square miles. And um, uh, we have about a million 500,000 people. And um, so you have more voters here than you have, uh, uh, like I said, in 10 other states. It's, it's a big county. Uh, it, it was a great experience to be, uh, a public official, a public servant. Um, and um, I, I learned a lot about what you call the fake news, uh, if you will. And uh, I learned how to to get along with people, whether they you agreed or disagreed with their philosophies, you still uh, have to have communication. Kathy, Kathy Castor, one of our uh, senators uh, right now, uh, you know, I helped her get a few things done because we had a majority <clears throat> conservative board, which I'm a conservative and she's uh, progressive and um, but uh, she's a wonderful person with a great heart. And um, I enjoyed working with her. We just had uh, uh, two different opinions on how to get to uh, uh, one destination. And so I'm, I'm sure we fed off of each other. It was a, it was a good time and a good learning experience. And. Then I went on and uh, decided to devote a lot of time to helping my colleagues. And that's where the Cauliflower Alley Club came in. And, and for eight years now, <clears throat> since before our, uh, since our 49th reunion, um, Nick Bakowinkle was the president then. 
And uh, he wasn't the CEO, Carl Lauer was the CEO and Car Carl's a wonderful man, still on the board. He's given almost 40 years of his life uh, to the mission of the CAC, which uh, helps uh, uh, wrestlers that have fallen on difficult financial times. Uh, we help them obviously financially and uh, it's not a loan, you know, we give them the money and um, you'd be surprised JP, how many, how many wrestlers um, fall on difficult financial times, um, whether it's not having the insurance that they needed and they get sick, uh, you know, diseases and uh, um, elective surgeries that become necessity, become necessities. And, you know, one of my best friends uh, uh, passed away just, uh, you know, a little over a year ago, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And, um, you know, Paul, not even a year ago. And uh, uh, Paul, I, I keep forgetting we're, go, we're in 2022 now, but uh, Paul was, him and I were like brothers. And uh, golly, we just had so much fun together. But he, he wound up, I mean, Paul made so much money and he wound up needing uh, the assistance of the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club. And we don't mention names unless they really want us to, like Kamala or Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, just, you know, guys that... Uh, contributed so much to to all of our entertainment and uh, it, it, that's why it's so nice because without all to me it's like you may not have seen the person that worked uh in the um uh portland uh, territory for example i never worked there but i knew everybody that did work there and um we may not have worked on the same cards together, but in a way we always helped each other because we kept the business alive and we kept fans alive. And even more so when we morphed into the, that was an experience in itself. That's in truth be told, you know, we went from the territories um, into the uh, national spotlight when, um, you know, WWF uh, started WrestleMania um, right before WrestleMania one, I was, in New York and uh, Vince, well, in, say, uh, um, let's see, WrestleMania one was in 85. So in, um, in 84, I was in uh, WWF uh, for Vince McMahon senior. What a wonderful man he was. And uh, I was going to come back as uh, and work for the intercontinental title. And then I got a call from, I was actually in, in Florida, I was a Florida heavyweight champion and, uh, and it was, you know, a great spot to be in. And one of the, uh, perhaps the only shot that I can remember that I ever missed when I could have made it or I wasn't hurt or anything. Um, it almost caused my friendship, uh, longtime friendship with Mike Graham because, uh, Eddie Graham had was deceased and Mike took over the territory. I was working, I worked program with Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, who was just a, a tremendous hand. And uh, I was on my two week notice. Uh, Hogan had called me up and asked me if uh, I knew Jim Brunzel. And I said, uh, just from the magazines and stuff, I, I never had met uh, Jumpin' Jim. And I knew he was a good tag team wrestler because of uh, Greg Gagne working in the AWA. And uh, Terry had just come from the AWA, you know, Vince kind of cherry plucked everybody from every territory that yeah. drew money. 
And so it was my turn to get plucked. I'm on top. And um, uh, so I agreed to come up. Jim and I uh, were promised the tag team titles, which is a whole other story. But getting back to uh, Florida, I was on my way to um, uh, to uh, uh, Fort Myers. And um, I, uh, apparently the place was packed. And uh, I just decided, you know, I, I don't know why I decided this, but I just uh, I had a flat tire. I was kind of uh, really looking forward to going to New York. And uh, all of a sudden I said, well, you know, do I really want to go to Fort Myers or not? And, uh, I don't know. So I, I, uh, this guy stopped on the side of the road and, and really a nice person helped me out, got the spare on, drove to uh, a pay phone. We didn't have cell phones. I drove to a pay phone and I, uh, I, ca- I called uh, the arena in Fort Myers. We, have the numbers to the arenas in all of our pay slips and our bookings and because uh, you'd get them from the for the next town then and uh, so i called and mike wound up getting on the phone he said brian brian where are you at where are you at i said oh i'm stuck on the side of the road so i lied you know i i lied i said i was stuck on the side of the road which i was but i wasn't technically at the time i was at the at the pay phone right. I told him this guy's here helping me change the tire. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. He says, "Well, I'm on the way up to get you. You got to come here." He said, "There's more people outside the building than there are inside the building. It's completely sold out." And uh, so I said, "No, no, no, Mike. I'll be there. I'll be there." And uh, I never made it. Uh, Mike was uh, extremely upset with me, but uh, we got over that uh, uh, that hump in the road and uh, went to New York. And uh, it was. Uh, back again and it was a, a wonderful time uh, great experiences great times and uh, you know so many of these uh, the adventures that you won't hear t- tonight on uh, on your show uh, you know are, are in uh, truth be told and uh, quite honestly uh, JP it took me almost two years to write this book wow. it's, it's a lot of memories it's over 400 pages and um, uh, of course, there's some very unique pictures uh, that haven't been published before. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was a good time actually writing the book. And it's even a better time to um, hear the people when they read the book. And actually, um, you know, they people email me or Facebook, uh, um, Twitter, whatever. They're constantly asking me about different things in the book and telling me wonderful things. And I never get tired of answering them. So it's a new chapter in my life. So for the WWF, obviously the WrestleMania. So Hogan is kind of responsible for you and Brunzel forming the killer bees. Yes, actually um, Vince wanted to create a, uh, uh, like a real meaningful tag team division, which he did. He brought in some great teams, if you remember JP and, uh, so uh, Terry suggested to him that because I was going to come up and work for the uh, Intercontinental title, which uh, Tito Santana wound up in that spot. Uh, Tito's a wonderful guy, too. Uh, uh, Merced wound up in that spot. And uh, I just, uh, you know, took Terry's advice, met uh, met Jim in uh, Brantford, Ontario, Canada. And we hadn't had it. We didn't have a name at that time. You know, we were just. Blair and Brunzel. And uh, again, Vince wanted to create a, uh, a very meaningful tag team division. And so 
Uh, we met in Bradford and George Scott came up to us and he said, um, hey guys, uh, you know, I'm just getting to know Jimmy. Uh, great conversation. Uh, a lot of guys in the locker room. Um, Lanny Popo just uh, happened to be sitting right next to where Jimmy and I were talking and uh, George had come up and said, uh, hey, you guys need to think of a of a catchy name. Vince wants a catchy name before you go on and you're on in less than an hour. So uh, George walked away and uh, wow, we were, we're just sitting there, a catchy name and a few names came up and I started the bees, the bees, Blair, Brunzel. And I had remembered the killer bees defense on the Miami's Dolphin, Miami Dolphins uh, football team. Um, I, I think I was in junior high school. It was like 1972. And uh, the Bonacani and uh, I think it was Baumgarten. Anyway, they, they had the linebackers all, uh, their last names began with a B and they were the killer bees. So I said, how about the killer bees? Jimmy said, the killer bees. I like that. I like that. That's great. And uh, George hadn't even left the room and George, uh, George the Animal Steel was there. So he, uh, he said, uh, George is still there. And uh, uh, I, we kind of called him over. We did call him over and he came back. And uh, I said uh, to, to George, how about the killer bees? And he got a big smile on his face. He goes, I like it. Let me see what Vince thinks. So he left uh, right away and he came back maybe 10 minutes later and uh, he says, hey, that's it. You guys are the killer bees. So the bees were born uh, in Brantford, Ontario. And uh, the, the, this was couldn't happen in a million years. But when this is taking place and we're the killer bees, Lanny Pavo was reaching in this big uh, bag that he had was actually a hockey bag. So that's how big it was. You know, you can carry a hockey yeah. stick, all that stuff in there, your pads. So he reaches in and he's got so many tights in there. And he pulls out these black and yellow tights, uh, striped tights. So they were the same tights that we wore, and uh, uh, he happened to have two pairs of them. And uh, so Lanny gave us uh, the tights right there. I, I, it was just kind of unbelievable how everything meshed together. And, uh, God, we had uh, four years of a wonderful time. What did you think about Jim Brunzel, though? Because obviously, you know, you know of him, but now you got a team with him. Like, what, what was the chemistry like, and did you guys get along, you know, away from the ring as much as you did inside the ring? Because you guys had great chemistry in the ring. Yeah, well, you know, JP, we uh, we got along so well that once in a while, when we even felt like you know there might be maybe it was time to ride with somebody else, we would do that, you know, and we'd share a room. You know, back back then, it was always about you know not how much you made, about how much you saved, and um, so we we would do all kinds of things. Um, I mean, there's so many ribs just on saving money that I can think about um, from the business, uh, such as um, Ali Bay, the Turk. One time, the Turk, uh, he I don't know if you remember the Turk, Ali Bay. He was like a old timer when I was getting into the business. So but anyway, he was so tight that he'd never get a hotel room. He'd sleep in his van. And he and he talked with very broken English, and he'd say, "Well, you know, I I sleep in my van, and I say I pull into the Ramada Inn, and I say forty nine dollars or thirty nine dollars, and you know, he'd tell us about all these ways he was saving money with his van, and then he back then you'd pay trans, what was called trans. So um, like the guys that broke me in, like Jack Briscoe and Buddy Colt, 
they would always say, you know, hey, don't ever, don't ever ride with somebody and not have your trans already figured out. You know, if you're going to, for example, if you're in Tampa and you, you know, you're going to uh, Tallahassee, it's 400 miles. So, uh, you know, that's 800 miles round trip times a nickel. So you had your money, 40 bucks, whatever you'd have your money uh, for trans ready. You know, as soon as you got, before you got out of the car, you'd hand it to the driver or right as soon as you got out of the car, whichever uh, yep. was most convenient. And uh, so Ali Bay would make money from trans with his van. He's telling us how much money he saved. And the funniest thing, Jimmy goes, uh, you know what, Turk? He goes, I got an idea. You know, he goes, the Hilton's right across the street. Why don't you park in their parking lot and sleep and you can save $100? And he goes, oh, Jimmy. Oh, that's such a beautiful idea. And he was so excited. All the boys, they, they like Turks parked in the hill. Now, you know, yeah. <laughs> saving a hundred dollars. It's uh, just little things, you know, the, that were so fun just to entertain us on the road. And uh, uh, there's a, there's so much, uh, there's so much fun in this book right here. I tell you, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. I promise all, all the boys that have read it, everybody just, uh, uh, even guys, especially guys, because every word, Ian Douglas was so articulate when he he made sure he went back and and proofed everything, fact-checked everything. So every story in here is legitimate. It's the truth, um, verified by witnesses or in print or whatever the case may be. So it's no, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shoot. You know, the book's a, a total 100% legitimate book. And... Uh, it's just uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. With the Killer Bees and you and Jim Brunzel, a lot of people always say Heart Foundation Killer Bees. I mean, that tag team division is stacked, but they always kind of say you guys had the best chemistry, have the best matches. I mean, we're talking about a division with Demolition and the Bulldogs and the Islanders. I mean, all these awesome teams and a million that I'm forgetting. But, you know what I mean? It, it was like, wow, Killer Bees, Heart Foundation. What was it about you guys in the Heart Foundation that just was like, Every time you stepped in there, you just had awesome matches. Brett and I had the almost the identical psychology. And psychology is learned from, uh, from a lot of experience, of course. But um, I, I learned a lot of my psychology in the Florida Territory and in the Louisiana Territory. Um, Bill Watts was a disciple, if you will, of Eddie Graham's. And... Um, Eddie Graham always said, uh, you know, it says wrestling on the marquee. You know, you want to yep. wrestle. You, you want to entertain the audience, but you've got to wrestle. And you've always got to work a shoot. You know, if, if people can see through it, you know, they're, you know, they're not going to buy another ticket. You know, they, you got to um, make sure that uh, everything's solid. And uh, it's just like going to the movies. You know, if you go to watch uh, Superman versus Batman and the punches are missing by a foot right. you know, then you're not going to be into that too much but because they have the art of uh of camera angles and uh technology they can make everything look a hundred percent legit so when we have people you know sitting eight feet ten feet twelve feet away from you and in, in the first row uh sometimes right on top of you if if you don't connect you know you're uh they're gonna poo poo at that match they're not gonna buy that match and uh so and pretty soon it's going to hurt everybody so uh you know we uh we just had that good solid uh psychology um and we always 
built everything up. We built it up. We built it up until, man, when somebody made that hot tag, boom, the roof came off. And, um, you know, the Heart Foundation knew how to get hate heat. The, the killer bees knew how to make a comeback. And we we just, uh, you know, I, I saw the, uh, on Twitter not long ago, the, um, the Youngbloods posted, you know, they were the innovators of tennis shoes in the, uh, in the wrestling ring. And yeah. then uh, Sean Waltman, Xbox, sent a picture uh, uh, of uh, WrestleMania three, where we uh, had uh, Nike tennis shoes. Uh, you know, we were actually the innovators of tennis shoes in yeah. the wrestling ring. And so, and we wore them for lots of events, but uh you know, it's amazing, uh, you know, what's old is new. And, uh, you know, people, when they go back to the well and look at the psychology uh, and, again, the the Heart Foundation, um, Brett had wonderful psychology. Same, I had the same kind of psychology that Brett did. And Jimmy was from that same background as well, uh, Jimmy Brunzel and then Jimmy Neidhart, um, you know, he had, he had great psychology as well. And I used to wrestle, he was a, a Russian in Florida. Um, uh, Jim Neidhart, believe it or not, was a, was a Russian at one time. And uh, I used to wrestle Jim Neidhart all the time in singles matches. So it was like, uh, you know, putting together some pieces that um, already fit together. When, when Vince, you know, put the killer bees and the heart foundation together. As a matter of fact, Brett talks about it a lot in his book, which is a wonderful book. I mean, yep. it's been out for several years, but if you haven't read it, Brett's book is phenomenal. So there's so many good wrestling books to read. Um, and you get a much more in-depth look at uh, wrestling and, and the uh, personalities of those that uh, are inside of the books that you read. So and he said in that book that, Heart Foundation Killer Beach were the best tag matches of that era. So, I mean, even he was talking them up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, another thing, Brett, Brett was just, uh, he took everything in the ring so seriously. But outside the ring, it was just, uh, it was always fun. Like, he always had a chalkboard and he'd do drawings on it. And it, they were hilarious uh, caricatures, cartoons, uh usually about the at the agent's expense or one of the wrestlers expenses and uh he uh uh drew a caricature inside of the book just for uh the book truth be told that we're discussing and um uh it's a it's so funny it's the killer bees against the heart foundation in uh you know 2021-22 so what we would what in his imagination what we would look like yeah wrestling together and it's priceless you know just that just that caricature drawing it's the only drawing that he's ever done for a book uh and um uh, i was very honored to have him do that were you guys out to kind of like steal the show because wbf really known as the quote-unquote big man territory obviously hogan's a huge guy andre the giant big john stud bundy all these monsters were you guys trying to be like all right you guys can do this we're gonna have the best matches and we're gonna steal the show well, you know, JP, it wasn't so much about stealing the show as much as it was about working as hard as you can. You don't want to leave anything left. Um, you want to give the fans every ounce of emotion, of energy, everything that you have. And I don't care if we had, you know, 500 people or 50,000 people. 
uh, we worked hard all the time. And when you have four guys of the same mindset, uh, it, it makes it easy. So, um, um, you know, we just, uh, not so much about stealing the show, but it, it was more about uh, making sure that the Heart Foundation and the Killer Bees made a lasting impression on the people's minds so that they would want to see us, regardless of who won or lost, that they would want to see us wrestle again. And then um, we were filming in uh, Canada, um, and a guy named Billy Red Lions, um, who I really didn't know as a wrestler, uh, I thought he was an announcer. I got to be friends with him. He was just such a good announcer. And uh, I hadn't done enough homework. And um, it turns out Billy Red Lions was a huge star in his day. And um, he told me that, uh, he told Jim and I that uh, him and his uh, uh, brother, I believe it was, were a heel tag team and they used to put masks on and switch and it would get so much heat. And he said, you know, the way, uh, the, the way that you guys work, you're such baby faces that I think you could do this and get away with it as baby faces if the heel gets enough heat on you. So, um, you know, we liked it and we tried it and uh, sure enough, I mean, people bought that and then Lord, <coughs> Lord Blears uh, was doing commentating. And so he called it mass confusion. And so mass confusion caught on. And um, of course, uh, back then, uh, Gino Morella, uh, uh, he, he was great gorilla monsoon. Uh, him and, uh, you know, him and Vince and Lord Blears were primary uh, commentators uh, for the first part of the Killer Bees run. And uh, for the first year, uh, they were our main commentators, and they were just phenomenal. And uh, uh, Lord Lord Blears really got the mass confusion thing over. It was good. So cool, so different. I just remember, you know, as a kid being like, oh, my God, what's going on here? You know what I mean? It was great. It was such a cool, different gimmick to kind of pull off. Yeah, it was totally different. It was very uh, – and that's why, you know, we were going to turn heel. And, you know, and if Jimmy was sitting next to me, he'd tell you ex exactly what I'm, I'm – you know, Jimmy and I are still very close and we do a lot of events every single year together, um, signings and things like that. So, uh, uh, Jimmy and Vince, I, I didn't know this until maybe four years ago that Jimmy had so sued Greg Gagne and Vince because they created action figures. Vince did. And Greg signed the contract, signed Jimmy's name handed it back to Vince. Well, anyway, Vin, uh, Jimmy wound up suing Vince and Greg together and he won the lawsuit. So, uh, you know, he had heat kind of going in. I mean, I guess Vince realized that, you know, it was his fault or just as much his fault as Greg's fault. And, uh, but, you know, Jimmy would do things like, um, you know, uh, Vince came and he was really excited about the Killer B t-shirts that they just came out. And you got to stare at them for maybe, for a little bit before and then they kind of uh, maybe grow on you a little bit and uh but i i know better than you know if somebody's excited i'm not going to rain on their parade and say hey that looks terrible but jimmy's such a straight shooter he goes vince is excited what do you think about these t-shirts i go look and i go wow vince those are really nice i like those jimmy goes i don't those are terrible <laughs> and i'm going jimmy <laughs> you know it's just like yeah. a, yeah, you can't hold them back. And, uh, 
you know, there were other things where, you know, as Jimmy and Vince were like oil and water. So I kind of got the brunt end of that, uh, of the tag team situation because we were promised the belts three times uh, and three different occasions. And, uh, you know, from Vince himself and George Scott. And, um, you know, they'd say, oh, the money's in the chase, the money's in the chase. But you've got to, I, I, I finally... I finally said, you know, Vince, um, uh, you've been, you promised us a belt three times. It's never happened. Um, there was strike force coming in the Rujo, we had the Rujo's strike force. We had so many tag teams coming in, um, that, um, we kind of got mixed up then in the, in the shuffle. And so I wound up giving my notice in, um, Salisbury, uh, Maryland, um, not too long before uh, WrestleMania five, we were in two WrestleMania two, WrestleMania three, WrestleMania four, and uh, not too long before WrestleMania five, I, I just uh, said, you know, I'd rather. We had wrestled sixty seven days straight. Uh, Valentine and Hammer were, I mean, golly, they were about to get divorces from their wives. Jimmy was arguing, he was missing his kids, you know, functions and. People don't realize how grueling that is to be. We were in 60 67 different cities without a day off in four different countries. And when I say we had the day off to fly uh, to the to the country, but we'd wrestle immediately. So you'd right, get out not of, much of a day off. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, your day was in an airplane and in a car or a train or uh, or a bus getting to your shot so we went 67 days uh and oftentimes we'd wrestle two times in a day um you know two different venues uh television was a lot of times two different shots um so um 67 days without a day off and then being in being in five different countries uh, it was it it just you know it was too much too much People only realized how hot wrestling was back then that they'd have like an A town, a B town, a C town, sometimes a D town, all running on the same night. And WWF was taking over globally, literally just taking over the world. Exactly, JP. And where that really came from, uh, I was uh, in Atlanta in 83, uh, 83, 84, before I went back to um, WWF. Um, and uh, the TB, TBS realized that they were going in places that weren't being utilized so much like uh, it was the Sheik's territory and everybody respected each other's territories. I actually have some papers from the, uh, the notes from one of the NWA conventions in Las Vegas where they would elect the champion and Vince McMahon Sr. would come down, Vern Gagne would co uh, come down from the AWA and they'd all get along and champion against champion. They'd book that date. And, um, so anyway, nobody would step. They all had respect for each other. Um, but uh, they realized that Sheik wasn't running like Columbus, Ohio, Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, very populated towns. And um, so we went in there from Georgia Championship Wrestling. And we were just packing the places. I mean, Columbus, Ohio, I mean, it was the Ohio Center. We were just rocking that place. Uh, towns in uh, West Virginia, just just all over the place. Uh, they were on fire. And Vince 
Vince saw that. You know, Vince Senior saw that. But Vince Senior would never step on anybody's toes. You know, that was he was, but he would talk to Junior about these things. The Junior saw him, and Junior had loyalty to nobody. And um, uh, you know, I heard uh, JBL on your podcast, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and uh, uh, Gerald Briscoe. Um, who we were also talking about, uh, Gerald Briscoe um, and Jack, his brother Jack, owned part of um, uh, of Georgia Championship Wrestling. And they also owned a portion of Florida Championship Wrestling. Well, they wound up uh, selling their um, uh, the rights to TBS to Vince. Uh, Eric, uh, collectively all the shareholders got together and decided to sell everything to to vince and um i believe it was for a million dollars then and um so vince uh, they got a million dollars vince bought it and uh vince needed money really bad for wrestlemania so he wound up and he had, i guess he had usa then but he could have controlled everything. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and that that wouldn't have been good for the boys. Uh, at that time, it would have just uh, cut a few years of uh, holding on uh, off because uh, Vince was just that powerful, and cable television was that powerful, um, and owning the two major stations, you know, that's it. But uh, he wound up selling TBS back, and. Um, uh, oh, I know they. What happened? They they sold it for two million and bought it back for a million. I believe it was. Uh, Gerald could tell you exactly, but I'm almost sure that's the figures. Uh, don't hold me to that, but I'm real close. And uh, you know, Vince went on like uh, he did and created, you know, the greatest re wrestling empire in history. Of course, he's got a lot of competition now with AEW, but uh, it's still, uh, you know. WWE is a household name. WrestleMania's household event. It's just, it's major. It's provided so many people, you know, a living. You know, we would have never been doing podcasts and, you know, things. Uh, you know, there wouldn't be, you know, Dave Meltzer's dirt sheets that were very popular in the '80s, or you know, the things that that go on. You know, uh, Greg Oliver's uh, Canadian. Um, uh, sites, um, you know, every, there's so many people that have made money from the success of uh, Vince McMahon and, uh, you know, and others, but uh, primarily Vince. And, uh, you know, in one way, a lot of it, it cost a lot of the guys their jobs, obviously. I mean, the wrestling talent pool shrunk big time because if you weren't one of the top guys, I mean, you know, you just had to go to the independents, work, work where there was work. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, it's all worked out. I guess uh, you know that's progress. You know, that's uh, in the evolution of the business. Going back to WBF, remember when they made the LJNs, the action figures, the you know the big rubber figures? Did you make a ton of money off of those? Because it seemed like basically everybody that was a part of the Hillbilly Jim's talking about you know ninety thousand dollar checks and Honky Tonk Man's talking about hundred thousand dollar checks and making so much money. Did you make a ton of money off those? Because it seems like if anybody that had those, like if your era, like you're immortalized basically 
because those yeah. figures are so remembered and sold so well. I still have a, a few of them actually in oh. the box. Um, Worth a ton. And, and of course, uh, then we got the uh, Jack Pacific toys, uh, action figures after that. And we're, we've got new action figures coming out uh, from Relativity Worldwide. Um, there's uh, uh, Cella Toys in England. There's a, there's a huge market right now. But back then we made, uh, we didn't make the money like um, the Sheik and Hillbilly did on that first run. Yeah. Vince cut the money money down. I mean, um, it was almost like uh, because the guys had such big mouths and everything, you know, it's like uh, um, telephone, telegraph, telewrestler, you know, it's, they had big mouths and w wouldn't stop bragging or whatever. I guess they were just happy and proud. Um, you know, I, I, on the other hand, and most of the guys, you know, Terry Hulkster, uh, one of my dearest friends, it, we, uh, Brett Hart, you know, nobody talked about the money that we were making unless it was between each other. But uh, we made, uh, we, we still made, um, quite a bit of money from the toys, um, from the action figures. Um, not, not, the in the hundred dollar, a hundred thousand dollar a quarter range, like, uh, the mm -hmm. sheet, uh, others talked about making, but, uh, it was, it was, it was fair. What is up with the iron Sheik? He always seems to, I don't know if he's joking or what, but he always seems to mention you. I don't know what, it, what maybe not lately, but that was kind of part of his shtick. Remember, he, he always said he's going to humble you and all this other stuff. Why always, he's like, I like Jim Riddell. He's like, Brian Blair, oh, you know, screw him. Like, what was that all? Just a joke between you guys? Or what, or what was that? It started in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we used to, I was an amateur wrestler and, you know, I learned MMA before MMA wasn't cool, you know, from yeah. the guys that, uh, Hiro Matsuda, Carl Gotch, guys that learned the art of hooking and stretching and, um, which is kind of counter to amateur wrestling. Amateur wrestling helps when you know how to amateur wrestler wrestle when you do MMA. But, uh, for example, if you tight waist somebody, and you let's say you tight waist a hooker he's going to double wrist lock you yep. or ankle pick you or he's going to do you know you put yourself in vulnerable positions because you can't do those things in amateur wrestling you know you can't uh, go counter joint um and uh so uh if, if the joint flexes this way you can't flex it the opposite way you know you can't deliberately hurt somebody so um you know learning those those hooking moves gave me a great base and so I became like, for the, I don't want to say too many things that are in my book, but I will say this, the, um, I, I, I was with, uh, in the dungeon here in Florida at 106 North Albany street off Kennedy, uh, where everybody got stretched in Florida that you couldn't pay to be a wrestler back then. You had to go through hard times and believe me brother they were some hard times i mean oh i uh the i puked the first two days there the third day i rolled out of the ring and hero matsuda lifted my chin up with his bare foot and he goes uh, what's the matter boy you know puke today and i barely got well well mr matsuda I haven't eaten since the last time I puked and I could barely get those words out of my mouth. 
and I could see his, he turned his head and I could see his ears raise up because <laughs> he had this real short haircut and he could see his ears raise up. So I thought, well, you know, maybe he's happy. I'm sure not. But he kind of took it, he took it, a, dialed it a step down, you know, after that. But out of three and a half summers that I was there, only three people made it. And there was at least a hundred people that came in JP wow. and most at least half of them left without their clothes or their belongings. I mean, because it was brutal. And um, uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Lorndorf was the first one to make it through everything. Um, and then uh, it was uh, Hogan and myself and everybody else quit. A lot of them came back and, uh, you know, Danny Spivey, Scott Hall, a few of them, uh, good people tough guys. I saw, I saw Danny Spivey hit Adrian Adonis so hard in Flint, Michigan, that his skin, Adrian's skin literally lifted from right below his nose all the way to his eye and Adrian's cheekbone was sticking out from one punch, from a left hook. Sounded like a shotgun hit a watermelon. So Danny was a really tough guy. But the stuff we went through, I mean, the calisthenics, the push-ups, the Hindu squats, everything, wrestling, you know, back, you know, amateur wrestling, you know, in colleges, three, three minutes, uh, high schools, three, two minutes, rounds, you know, you never wrestle and you got a little break in between, you know, we'd wrestle for 10, 15 minutes straight, no breaks, nothing. And uh, so it, it was absolutely brutal. Um, but uh, some of the guys that didn't make it in Florida would go to the Carolinas or other places. And, you know, they got a break there. And Sheik met you in Florida. Is that where, that's where it started? Oh yeah. So getting back to Sheik, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking about those days with Hero, but getting back to Sheik and Her Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, well, we used to kind of play with each other, take each other down, you know, shoot style. Yeah. Different just for a minute, you know, just for maybe one minute of the match. We didn't want to stink the match up, but just to kind of play with each other. And one of us had, you know, tap or, okay, you know, and usually it was me. So uh, in Hershey, uh, Sheik uh, front face locked me, and he was cinching down on it. And I came out of the front face lock. I remember coming out of the front face lock on him, and I chicken winged him. Um, I chicken winged him, and uh, – uh, cross gave, gave him the chicken wing cross face. He kind of got out of that. And I wound up with a front face lock on Sheik. And all of a sudden he's trying to get out and he's going, okay, goes and he taps. And so Nikolai started riding his butt so bad. Ah, Sheiky, Sheiky, you tap in front of 20,000 people. Ah, <laughs> Brian Blair, F you real good. Uh, you know, and, it, and so this kept brewing with Sheik. You know, he's got a kind of a different mentality. I mean, you know, the Sheik, uh, he has a whole different psychology. Um, and uh, so this really bothered him. And that's, you know, there there was, he slapped me at this event. I mean, there was some, some serious heat that, you know, he, uh, that he got from innocent things. I thought they were innocent. And, um, you know, then he was on Howard Stern. They kept trying to get me on the Howard Stern show. And I wasn't going to get on the Howard Stern show with the Sheik who had been his regular guest and Howard's tight buddy, you know. I'd, I'd always get a call. Howard would call me, come on, Brian, come on the show, come on the show. I, 
nah, man, it's not going to be fair. You know, what if I, what if I get somebody, uh, you know, I said, all right, you get Piper or somebody on there with me, you know, that'll kind of, you know, give me a, a somebody on my, in my corner. Cause it's yeah. a, a handicap match with you two against me. And, uh, he'd laugh a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, but it, it never really materialized, but you know, people were going through great lengths on the internet to draw these. I mean, you can look them up right now. I'm sure they're still there for these cartoons and, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how, how long it takes to make animation. I've never done that, but they've got animated things with the cheek and, and be Brian Blair. And, um, it's uh it's pretty funny it's somebody was very bored to do all that yeah i remember years ago on stern they had fake killer bees with like mask on and she you know he fell for it he thought it was you guys and he's like oh screw you brian blair oh, get get in here but they're showing it on a screen he's like oh, why don't you get in here and fight me and like he was basically challenging you but obviously it's not you it's somebody else under a mask that worked for the stern show yeah 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 so they they were doing a lot to uh you know, to try to get me to be their, uh, their whipping boy. But I just, uh, I didn't see anything redeemable for myself to come out of that. Now you mentioned WWF and almost winning the tag titles three times. Do you remember who you were supposed to beat and what the situations were? I know you mentioned the one time strike force got it instead. Yeah, we were supposed to beat the heart foundation. And, um, Actually, we did summer. I mean, we did um, uh, which one? Royal Rumble, uh, not SummerSlam. Um, the Survivor uh, Series '87. Uh, a couple of the other events. Excuse me. I've had event. Um, the no, 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 no. The uh, Survivor Series. Yeah. Survivor Series. So we win the Survivor Series, um, and uh, we were supposed to turn heel, and. Um, and uh, one of the babyface teams were supposed to get the belts. Uh, I don't know if it was Strike Force or we were supposed to get the belts from them. Um, that was one of the programs. Another program where we just beat the Heart Foundation. Um, and um, I, I don't remember the exact scenario for the third time, but um, they, they really wouldn't completely lay out a program and and they wouldn't do that unless we were going to get the belts. I mean, we'd lay out programs. Of course, we were just uh, we were always the challengers. But um, to to do a scenario where you're getting the belts means pretty much he has to go through with the program once you've gotten into it. And it, we were just right there. And um, now we're, we're now tonight uh, uh, the uh, Heart Foundation's going to go over, or, or you beat them. It's going to be a non-title match. You guys beat the Heart Foundation. It's not going to be a title match. Come back in a title match. Hopefully, you know we're going to win the titles. Then it just, uh, you know, again there was uh, there was so much heat with Jimmy and and Vince. I don't know if, and it would have been good business for Vince. So I just uh, don't understand why uh, the hesitation. You know, we later became the world heavyweight champions together in the UWF for Herb Abrams, which was a lot of fun, that promotion. Nothing like the WWE, WWF, but uh, it was it was still uh, fun. And, uh, you know, I've been with Jimmy, you know, all over the world uh, as the Killer Bees since then. Um, or Mass Confusion. There's a little uh, Vince 
that had Herb Abrams not be able to use the killer bees. So he changed those to mass confusion. But that was the only time that uh, Vince ever gave it, it was, gave us a hard time about using the killer bees was with Herb Abrams because Herb was so provocative, you know, with Vince is always, always in, uh, you know, his words were empty because there was, you know, he'd say he's going to put Vince out of business, but that just wasn't going to happen. Yep. But he would try to bring in Bruno, you guys, Andre at one point, Paul Orndorff. So he was trying to bring in, you know, name snooker guys with uh, name value, obviously not even close to the level of Vince, but I mean, he's bringing in Vince's old guard. Yeah, absolutely. But production means so much. And Vince, Vince's production was, and still is second to none. He's got the best production in the business. Better than AW is good. Uh, Vince's production is second to no one. And he's always had the best production. Um, it's just uh, a talent. And, um, you know, Dick Ebersol taught him a lot. We were doing Saturday night main event. A lot of people don't realize this. We did Saturday night main event. Event uh, ran for, at that time, uh, they had a one-year deal with NBC. And so we would take one weekend a month from Saturday Night Live. And we were just blowing away the ratings, their ratings, yeah. all the ratings. So um, uh, that was, a, we were supposed to beat the Hart Foundation in one of the best matches that we had with the Hart Foundation in uh, uh, LA. And they changed it from a title match to a non-title match. And, uh, you know, I was really upset about that, but, uh, you know, I had a choice, basically, either continue to work, making a good living, um, or go somewhere else. And there was really no place else to go that was where I was going to make half as much as Vince. I mean, I always had my deal in Japan for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, two, three trips a year, none while I was in WWE. But, uh, ironically, Vince McMahon Sr. was the first one to send me there. Always appreciate that. When you guys quit, how did it like Vince take it? Was he pissed? He wasn't. He didn't act peed when I gave him my notice, but he tried to talk me out of it. And uh, you know, he said, uh, "I said, can I give you my two weeks' notice?" He said, thought about it for a minute, and uh, he Vince is a good worker too, so you never know. If, you, if he's shooting or, or you know, and uh, when I said that, he just kind of gave me a smile and he hesitated, a little smile. And because uh, I said, can I give you my two week notice? He said, uh, can you can you give me a month? And uh, he goes, I really hate to see you go, Brian. And I said, Vince, I see the writing on the wall. You've promised us the belts three times. He goes, well, maybe we, we can create a new scenario. And, uh, um, you know, you, you could possibly make more money. And I said, well, you know, it's not just, it's not that Vince so much as, you know, burnout. We just worked 67 days in a row uh, a couple months ago. We haven't had much time off. He goes, do you need some time off? And I said, no, 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 no. I said, I've kind of... Um, had this thing in my mind where I, I uh, you know, I've always kind of had a little entrepreneurialship in my mind. And um, I'd like to, 
you know, build a, a gold's gym and started started going to the fitness industry. He kind of just shook his head and said, "Well, yeah, you know, I understand that." And he said, "Yeah." Um, he said, "Okay." He goes, uh, "Let's talk again." Uh, I don't know. It was a few days later, and uh, he came up to me. He goes, uh, "How you doing, champ?" <laughs> champ. So it was like, "Wow, dig." You know, "How you doing, champ?" Yeah. I said, "Well, Vince, probably not as good as you, but uh, um, I'm doing okay." He goes, "Well, you still want to leave?" And I said, "Yeah, I gotta leave." And he said, "Okay." Because I thought about it, and he said, "Okay." I mean, not that I could. He's telling me, or not that I can stop you from doing what you want to do but you know you've just become like a fixture around here you know you, what am i going to do without teasing beeper you know things like that you know because that's a nickname um so he he's you know he he kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit and yep. he has a way of getting his way uh, but i just stayed strong and and i you know i wouldn't change anything jp i mean there's some things that of course we'd all go back and change in our lives but uh you know as far as uh being in the wrestling business and, and enjoying my time with uh you know wwe wwf um uh, and all the territories and the experiences that i've had um, i probably would never have wrestled as long as i did um, you know i've had uh, you know a lot of aches and pains uh, which which come with uh with age and um but you know having four concussions and 20 surgeries that's not that's not fun i get so beat up and i i wrestled until 2019. wow so from uh about 78 it was 77 but closer closer to june july or july i think it was a 77 to uh, um what was it uh, to July of uh, 2019? I mean, I was either even when I had the gyms, or even when I was an elected official, I was still doing stuff on the weekends, or you know, going to Japan, or working for um, for Herb Abrams, or um, uh, for Tom Shade. Um, one of the things uh, and IWF. Tom Shade had a tremendous organization and it doesn't get any doesn't get nearly enough recognition but he was a very smart promoter he went in and uh he had a buddy at an air force base he put together a wrestling card um and uh, his first card um um uh, oh gosh um Colonel De Beers Easy Ed Wiskowski Ed Wiskowski and I worked on the first show he had. We had a really good match. And there was girls, we had midgets, you know, that, and it was an Air Force base. And they were thrilled. And of course, the place is packed because it's free. So he had a sold show. He had a guaranteed show. And from there, um, he used the recommendation letter he got from this guy. And, you know, within four months, he had shows lined up for the whole year. I mean, every weekend. You know, we were Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday afternoons. We were we were booked. I mean, Coco Beware went there and took my spot afterwards. Um, I just talked to Coco, by the way, the other day. He's he's doing good. Uh, a tremendous talent that never got the recognition really that that he should have. Um, 
but uh, um, this this guy had a he had a um, he had a tremendous idea. He, he Tom Shade, and he took the IWF, and uh, then he also went into Indian tribal reservations and casinos. So we were booked, and so we were making you know good money and could do whatever we wanted during the weekdays. So that was that was the best gig going, and that lasted for a few years. So that was a lot of fun. With the WF, did you ever regret quitting, though? Did you ever think, like, ah, oh, maybe I should have just stayed it out? Or you're just happy with that decision and you're glad it went down the way it did? Well, I felt kind of bad for Jimmy because he stayed around and Jim, uh, Vince didn't treat him real good. Um, but, uh, you know, Jimmy, uh, thank God he's doing really good right now, uh, financially and otherwise, health-wise. Um, but, uh, you know, Jimmy kind of needed the money then. Um, I had, uh, there was some, a couple, maybe a half a chapter in my book that talks about how to make money and how I made money and saved money. And I was able to go into Gold's Gyms, you know, which, you know, you had to have good credit. <laughs> you had to have a, a good down payment and because uh, you had to have a minimum of, $250,000 worth of equipment, 10,000 square feet. You know, there's a lot of minimums. It's not a gold's gym is it's a licensee, not a franchise. A franchise is of your McDonald's. It's the same as in Tampa or Tupelo, Mississippi or uh, Dyersburg, Tennessee. I don't care where you're at. You know, McDonald's, a Big Mac's a Big Mac pretty much. And yeah. um, you go to Tokyo, they maybe a little bit of difference, but it's pretty much the same. And um, um, as a licensee, Anything that says Gold's Gym, you have to buy it from Gold's Gym, um, from corporate, and or their licensee, and um, you have to have your letters exactly as they're uh, uh, given to you. And um, you know, it's other than that, they don't they don't tell you how much to charge a month. They don't give you a business plan. I had to create my own policies and procedures, my own flow charts, I, everything, do my own leases. And it was just kind of, you know, uh, hit and do do the best you can. And uh, we went from one member and one gym to uh, building four locations. And uh, I leased out three other locations and uh, uh, went from uh, one member. I believe when we we, we had well over 100,000 members when we sold the clubs. So that was a lot of members. Wow. And, and sold them when they weren't for sale. So that's the best time to sell something. Wow. So as we start to wind it down, head towards the finish here, just kind of like a generic question, but I love asking because you can know, check on YouTube nowadays. You can check the WWE Network. You know, they have all the territories on there. Do you have favorite matches or maybe a favorite opponents, guys, that stick out that if somebody just wants to type into the network or maybe YouTube, like Pete Brian Blair versus or Killer Bees versus, do you have some favorites? Well, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of favorites. I mean, even the, there's a match with Bob Backlund and I uh, teaming up against uh, Adrian Adonis and Murdoch that you could YouTube and oh, wow, uh, awesome! That's a, that's a, a a good match. Anything with the Heart Foundation. Um, I don't know if there's much with uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, you know, in, in Florida they taped all their tapes, but I don't know. I mean, taped all their matches, uh, just about. Um, 
had some wonderful matches with uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, with Paul Orndorff. I mean, there's a, a match with Paul Orndorff and I from, um, well, there's a couple of them on there. There's more than a couple. <laughs> from St. Louis, there's a couple. And um, there's one where I have red tights on and one where I have black tights on. And uh, Vince McMahon was doing the commentary. And um, it was, that was just it, you had to be if you were there i mean you could tell on television i mean on youtube but the people stood jp from two minutes into the match until the end of the match like a 20 minute match. i mean they there was people standing in groups the whole time and um vince came up to us afterwards uh, uh chief jay strongbow came up to paul and i and said hey you guys got to get to vince's uh, vince's uh dressing room he wants to talk to you Caesar wants to talk to you. So I knew I had a good match. I said, well, did I do something wrong? Um, did he get mad when I dropped the elbow on Orndorff's uh, balls or what? You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what, it, something's wrong. So we go in there and, you know, Vince is not a touchy-feely guy. Trust me, he's kind of a germaphobe. But he, we're all st both still sweating and he grabbed both Paul and I because we looked at each other. We're both going in at the same time. We, grabs us god that was the best match i've ever seen in my life and he goes i'm not just telling you that he put his right hand up he goes i swear to you guys that was the best match that i've ever seen in my life he was so excited and that's a good one yeah that you can watch as well but there's yeah. there's a lot of them jb what would you say is the the legacy of brian blair you know obviously cac included and in, in your your book and everything you got going on and even tv projects maybe you got going on but what's it, like the career and everything what do you think when people will look back like the stamp like brian blair i remember he was what one of the hardest workers uh that ever got in the ring and uh, a good guy one of the true uh good people in the business um there's nobody in this business that could say I ever stole from them, that I ever lied to them, that I ever cheated them. There's nobody in this business could, that has ever worked with me that would ever tell you that I was lazy, that I didn't give it 100%. I mean, I've always been a hustler. Uh, I've always worked my hardest, and I just hope that people would just remember me for uh, hard work and integrity. As far as plugs the book social media give us everything you can well i've got uh i've got uh, truth be told my uh book that's available on amazon right now uh it's less than 24 dollars be there in a few days promise you you'll like it if not you, if you don't like this book i will give you double your money back you contact wow. me and you just heard it on uh, jp's podcast i'll give you double your money back don't go buy a thousand of them and ask me <laughs> uh developed a new uh reality television show called uh pro wrestling challenge wow and, uh, nice. you ha actually have a my second meeting with uh, third meeting with vice uh friday so wow hopefully that comes out very cool what's that about going on and of course we've got the uh cauliflower alley club you know please go to caulifloweralleyclub.org and if you're a fan of wrestling for 25 dollars, you can become a member You'll get four copies of our newsletter, The Ear, 
it's it's tremendous uh, per year. You can join as a life member for three hundred dollars, and that being a member of the Cauliflower Alley Club allows you to go to our reunions, and they're off the chart. We just had one our fifty fifth in uh, September. This coming September, we'll have another one. Moving to a, a new hotel downtown, the Plaza Hotel, completely remodeled, thirty nine dollar a night hotel rooms. You can do the whole event for one hundred and fifty bucks. It's great family atmosphere. That'd be 200 plus wrestlers that you know you'll know and uh it's a wonderful time and and believe me you're helping the guys out that really need it the guys that entertained you and so caulifloweralleyclub.org uh truth be told uh, you know hopefully uh the reality show pro wrestling challenge you know keeping our fingers crossed and uh, uh, just got a lot of things going on Nice. Are you allowed to say what the show is about or not until uh, you get a little further along? It's uh it's kind of well, I'd rather I'd rather wait till we okay. sign the deal or people people read things and then they're gonna jump out, even though we have things trademarked and things like that. You know, JP, then until you until it's a deal, it's it's not. Yep. Until you sign the everything and it's a bona fide deal, it's not a deal. It's still it's still a dream. Thank you, Mr. Blair, for everything. Of course, check out CAC and Truth Be Told, B-E-E, Be Told. So thank you so much uh, for all time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for allowing me to be on the two-man power trip, JP, and I wish you nothing but good things and, and your audience uh, as well. Thank you so much. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.